This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Ouchie! 24 to 8 is the final score and. DC as the commanders go down to the Eagles. I'm Craig, he's Logan. This is Take Command. And Logan, uh, typically we talk a little bit before we go on air. We're exchanging texts throughout the game, stuff like that. We are going totally blind. This is real, raw, instant reaction. I don't know what you think of this game. You don't really know what I think of this game. Uh, I would like, I typically set the stage, but I want to flip the table even more. I want to start with you. You you watch the game. What did you think? Um, I think the thing that sticks out to me probably most definitively is just how poor the offense was. Like the offense was very, very poor. And I think that's really disappointing. Like if you would have told me at the beginning of the week that, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles only scored, only scored 24 points, I said, well, that's a good chance for this offense to, to win the game for us. And, you know, 30, 24, whatever the score would be. Cause I actually, you know, despite kind of the numbers and the, and the statistics of Jalen Hurts, I think the defense actually did a pretty good job. You know, I think they got into some third and outs. I think. They did a good job in backed up situations, sudden change, uh, sudden changes. Thought they did a good job, and I think, um, you know, obviously that like they gave up points in the off and Philly scored, but like you can't stop Philly from scoring at least the way the offense is constructed right now. And I thought those guys came out and played really hard, and I'm just really disappointed from an offensive standpoint that they weren't able to support them. Like I was talking to one of my producers on the Take Command show, and I was like, think about if. If Washington, if the commanders were able to string a drive of, you know, like cumulatively in the first half, add 10 more plays to their to their play total, that means that Philly probably doesn't score 10 points. Right. So it's 14 to zero going into the second half, just not even from them scoring, just from possessing the ball a little bit longer. So I just look at that and I just say, like, that is just, you know, kind of a dagger for that defensive group who I think came out with a solid game plan. Played hard. I mean, obviously, there was a couple of pass interferences and things like that that were pretty devastating um, in terms of chunk plays. But I think on the whole, given the injury situation on the in the secondary, given the injury situation on the defensive line, like that's about as well as I thought that group could have played. And uh, they just got absolutely no support from the uh, 
from the offense, which is tough. We're on the same page. Um, there's one disappointing thing from the defense, and that's that they failed to create a turnover yet again. Sure. Um, that is the one thing, obviously, the one turnover that Washington has in the first half is an absolute killer. The defense had held up, held up, held up. Carson turns it over right back on the field, and then they get the touchdown to Goddard on the screenplay. Outside of that, I'm with you. Like, the defense played well in terms of they did, you know, assignment, alignment, like all that stuff. Tough day uh, for Rashad Wild Goose on, on the PIs. But sure. outside of that, you got a bunch of guys who were in position and the Eagles made more plays because they got better players. And at the end of the day, that's what my fear was going into the game was the Eagles are just a better football team. Like they have better players who made plays on guys who were in position and it came down to man versus man and their men were better. And that is kind of defensively speaking, like that is that simple to me with the caveat that it becomes even more pronounced when you're tired as hell because your offense can't sustain anything. And that's why, to me, I'm with you. This game is basically 100% on the commander's offense and their yeah. inability not only to not score, pretty hard to win when you don't score, yeah. but their inability to sustain drives is just so, so, so depressing. And for the second straight week, I don't want to say the offensive line was bad, but the protection was horrendous. Went yeah. sacked a career-high nine times. Um, so what did you make of that element of the game? Because I know last week, even you said in the first half, while it was, you know, they, they had the five sacks and, and everything, that it was a lot more than just the offensive line. Part of its play calling, part of its the running backs and tight ends and protection, part of its on Carson to get rid of the ball, receivers to win. So I know you haven't had a chance to watch the tape back and, and that makes it a lot harder, but anything initially stand out in the protection department this week? I just think, you know, obviously Philly's defensive line is um... – is good, you know, like they're they're a good group, but they hadn't shown this level of pop, you know, across the board. And I think that's something that um, really stuck out to me is just the ability for the guys to win their one on one matchups. Quite frankly, you know, I think um, you know that early sack that Leno had against Sweat, like Sweat just beats him. And we and we talked about on the pregame show how good Sweat was as a rusher. Yeah, you know, and he's very very talented. And then we talked. We about looked how- really smart on a lot of stuff today, and I'm really so sorry to the Commanders fans about that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we talked about how Fletcher Cox, Cox had been, he wasn't the same guy that he was maybe four years ago, but he is still a good pass rusher and he was able to win one-on-ones with Trey Turner. And then, uh, you know, Hassan Reddick was able to get some pressure late. And then I think the other one that was interesting was Brandon Graham on Sam Cosme and Sam Cosme is a tremendous athlete. But one of the things I think about his pass set specifically is he does set kind of, um, assuming that he's stronger than the other player. And oftentimes that works and that's fine because he is. And then obviously you're meeting a guy in Brandon Graham who's played 13 years in the NFL who has perfected the art of kind of that bull to quick transition around the edge. And then you expect to be able to widen a player like that. But unless you've played against Brandon Graham, like I've played against Brandon Graham, you don't realize how freaky strong he is until you're in the throes of the game. And so, you know, Cosby didn't get to play against him last year because he was hurt in those two games. So I think that that's something that I think showed up is a little bit of his uh, inexperience, a little bit of his greenness. And, and again, um, he's going to get better with that as they go. But learning how different players rush and learning the kind of the caveats associated with that, I think, was another thing that stuck out to me. I also thought, you know, on Fletcher Cox's first sack, it was a 12 personnel. And I thought that's the right call by Scott Turner. But I also think I knew I like I. it was so fun. I was in the booth with Linnell and uh, and everybody we were Dead talking. Man, I was yeah. like, I, yeah, and I, I was like, I bet you this is a play pass. And 
you could just feel it was kind of on Scott Turner's rhythm. So I think there needs to be a little bit of self-scout done to kind of – because one of the things about Fletcher Cox is, like, when you get football players who play a long time, they know how to study film and they know how to prep. And I think – and I just felt like watching his rush that he knew it was a pass. Like, he was not – there was nothing on on his radar that said run to him and he was going to get a sack. And I think, um, again, kudos to him, kudos to his awareness. And I might be projecting a little bit, but I think that speaks to kind of – a level of predictability within the context of the offense, especially early, you know, um, and, and, you know, they got unfortunate on that batted ball by Jordan Davis because the slants open behind it. But again, mm-hmm. like you have to be able to overcome those kind of adversities and you have to be able to call plays that put your guys in the best situations to be successful. And I wasn't sure that happened today. And uh, yeah, the other thing before we continue is I also felt like Philly, at least from the limited angles I could see, did a good job of disguising. You know, we talked about on the pregame show how they kind of fall into these very simple coverages, cover three, cover four, man, occasionally the big pressure on third down, specifically on like four to six or whatever it was. But um, one of the things that stuck out to me is they were doing a good job of disguising the coverages, starting in press, getting the bail in quarters, rotation late. And I think that that just kind of provided enough consternation for Carson that it forced him to hold the ball a little bit longer than he wanted to. And um, I really just felt like they were all over whatever Scott Turner was throwing down there. And I think that, um, yeah. Yeah, no, clearly they had a beat on a lot of stuff and, you know, we'll have a better idea on Wednesday's pod after watching the film, like were there guys open down the field where they're not. And that tells you like, if there were Carson's got to read it faster. If there weren't, you know, what is that on the wide receivers for not winning on, on well-called concepts or is that on Scott? for not really having a reading of what Philly was trying to do and providing uh, his talent, uh, his skill position guys with answers. Um, When it comes to the, just like what we know now though, this feels like I'm going to caveat this question by saying like, this is too harsh in me asking it, but I don't currently have the tact to ask it more nicely. But like, what do they have against the screen game? They have Jahan Dotson, who's phenomenal as a screen player. Uh, Curtis Samuel, who's phenomenal as a screen player. Antonio Gibson, who's phenomenal as a screen player and a space player. And I don't know, like the answer could be very simple. Like our line doesn't have the mobility to get out and, and run. You know, we don't think that Carson sees it well. And we're terrified because of that week one pick he throws to um, uh, number one pick. Uh, yeah, uh, Walker from, from, Walker, from yeah. Jacksonville. Like, There might be a reason, but when that pass rush is coming like that and you have the skill guys that you have and you're trying to get the ball out quickly, they use some of those nice creative screens and and throwbacks and, you know, the the play to Armani in week one. It doesn't even have to be to to running backs or these receivers. Like, you got to find a way to get your skill guys the ball. You're not able to drop back because the O-line can't hold up and they seem to have a real beat on something uh, with, with that. You got to find ways, and and I just feel like they didn't do a very good job of using all their available options. And by the way, they also could have just run it more because Gibson was averaging five, almost six yards of carry in the first half. Like just stick with that until they stop it. But I do think eventually you got to do a better job getting the ball to Terry to Jahan in competitive situations. They both wind up actually with a ton of targets, but a lot of that stuff is after the game is way out of reach. Right. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything they have anything against the screen game. I think they probably ran four or five that I can recall. And I just I get the vibe that they're not great at executing screens at this moment, right? Screens are incredibly, 
incredibly detailed. One hundred percent. And some coaches coach him really well. Like Andy Reid is notorious for being possibly right. the best screen game coach in history. He's always got one of the best, and that's why they've been able to run that so well with Mahomes and company. Uh, but they ran that back to McNabb and like all the guys yeah. in Philly. Always they had the execution down. You know, Jay had some guys here that could run it really well. Sean coaches him up really well, and you can sure. see that with Cup and everybody out there. But it just seems like when they're trying to find ways to get their receivers the ball, they have guys who are good in space with the ball in their hands. And especially when there's an aggressive pass rush, not finding ways to get the ball out. And that seems like a pretty useful tool. Like even if it's not screen, like they got to get the ball out faster and and they're just, it just isn't happening. And I think the uh, kind of to support your point, I felt like early on there was this, like when an offense feels stagnant, oftentimes it's because they can tell like, the coordinators trying to do something that um, like fit, fit a, fit a square peg in a round hole for lack of a better expression. Right. And I felt like mm-hmm. they were in this, like they're in the gun, they're in drop back. Like one of the things that I thought you might've learned or gleaned from the uh, Detroit game is like, let's move the pocket a little bit. Let's run a keeper. Let's run a half roll. Let's set up, let's change the launch point. Let's give that defensive line something different to look at. They had some success early on some play pass stuff. But also, like, their play pass protections are a little bit risky because they're pulling guards, they're moving backs. Like, there was a, uh, an attempted screen later in the game where, um, you know, they pull a guard, they they bring a cross-block action or a sift action, they're leaking the black out, back out to the flat. I mean, because it's wide open for it. But it just took kind of so long to get that going. And I, I think, um, you know, some of the best screens are out, in and out of the quarterback's hands super quick, and it's not like this long song and dance. So I think... But that's again something that stuck out to me is is kind of the the rhythm and timing of the screams just screens just seems to take a long time, and then also I think um, he I just felt like he got in a little bit of a rut Scott in terms of what he wanted to call on third downs, and it kind of put those guys in tough spots. Now Scott was in a tough spot with some of those down and distances, but um, you know I, I just felt like he got like in this mindset of like we need to push the ball down the field, and so that's what he he was going to do, you know. And I don't think that's necessarily um the right thing and again this is you know sunday right after the game so i don't you know exactly what was going on in terms of uh concept and down the field stuff i mean this is another thing carson misses a corner to jahan early in the game kind of throws it really deep out of the sideline and i remember being in the booth and dalton's like oh man that was a bad throw you know or like put a little too much on it and to me you know jahan has leverage kind of coming back downhill like breaking away from the defensive back down towards Carson a little bit, like kind of getting friendly to the ball. And Carson tries to go over the top with it. And I thought, man, that's just something like where Carson looks a little bit unsettled, not seeing the throw. I thought he got real unsettled in this one. There was another throw at some point in that. I mean, the funny thing is, this all kind of happens in the second quarter. The game is 24-0 in the second quarter, and that's basically the game. Right. And there's another point in there after he'd been sacked a bunch where – he just he throws one short, short hops it, and it's like the feet were just a mess. And you can tell he got sped up. You could tell he wasn't comfortable. And you know, I tweeted that out, and someone's like, "Yeah, wouldn't you if you've been sacked this much?" And it's like, "Yeah, absolutely." Right. But it is it is especially noticeable, and historically speaking, it happens with a great consistency with Carson. We haven't seen it through these two games, but like that is one of the things with him that if you can get some pressure on him, he will start self defeating in a way that you'd hope your quarterback does not, and missing the kind of throws that could ultimately get him back on track. Yeah, and I think that's another important thing. Is like a lot of people say, "Oh, he's getting all this pressure," but some of that stuff, he's inviting some pressure, right? Like if mm-hmm. the quarterback pumps, which I think he did two or three times, if he pumps and resets, 
he's that ball is should be long gone. That's a bad sign for for how the how the quarterback seeing the field and also for the rush, right? So like you hear that you hear PFF talk about Carson in that way all the time. They say, oh, he's he's inviting pressure, he's inviting the rush. And that's what they're talking about. That little moment where he's holding the ball a little bit too long. Like go watch a Tom Brady game, and I'm not. And obviously, I'm comparing Carson to one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But one of the things that Tom Brady does exceptionally well is the second there's pressure, he knows that clock in his head is off and the ball has to be out of his hands. Even if there's a ball coming open down the field, like he's, he, it's, it's, gonna, it's leaving his hand. And he insulates the offensive line. He insulates himself from taking unnecessary hits. And like that's why one, one of the reasons why Tom very rarely gets unsettled is because he's so proficient in that regard. And all the good ones are, are pretty good. Even Aaron Rodgers, to a certain extent, does that, even though he does hold the ball, right? So I think it's important for fans to say, well, it's the rush, it's the rush, it's the rush. And was there an element of that today? Absolutely 1,000%. But was it also kind of Carson maybe holding the football too long? I think that's also true, right? And so it's not just like – and then then to stack on top of that, it's also the play call, right? It's also how Carson seeing coverages. It's all these things that lead to that pressure, Right. So as much as you want to say, well, Carson looks unsettled, that's on the O line or that's on the play calling, like yeah. Carson has some culpability in that as well. And um, and I do think that again, Philly did some really nice stuff from a coverage standpoint. And also I just think they flat they flat out got after it in terms of their pass rush, which is something that they hadn't shown a tremendous ability to do over the first two games. Yeah. I mean, Gibson only has one target. And that's the kind of thing that you look at and you just go, that's it's when you're trying to get the ball out quick. That yeah. doesn't make any sense that your former wide receiver starting running back only has one target. Um, and Terry doesn't have a catch until the second half. He winds up with six for 102. And I mean, for me, this is like another pain point. I brought it up week one. Everyone's like, ah, you're overreacting. Got to settle down. And I'm like, I don't know. Like if it's one week, sure. it's it, Terry can be a distraction. But you didn't pay that dude 70 plus million dollars to be a, a distraction, a decoy. You paid him because he's incredible. You got to find ways to get him to football. And they move the ball a lot better in the second half when he's involved. And I will say this, it is amazing to me the consistency with which he's able to get open deep at least once per game. It feels like at least once per game, he is going to have just be running down the sideline and, and, or running down a post and Carson will uncork it and it'll look real pretty. And you just, some days it'll be like, ah, yeah, that's the one. And some days it's gonna be like, well, where's that been all day? And unfortunately today it was more of that. Um, but then de- defensively, so, I mean, uh, well, let's wrap up offensively. Anything else offensively? I think, obviously, the protection and taking a deeper dive into uh, what that what contributed to that breaking down, play calling, Carson, O-line, other blockers, et cetera, yeah. uh, is going to be a, a, a major point on Wednesday's pod. Um, you know, Carson being unsettled, I think, is he's not going to grade out particularly highly in this game. Sure. Uh, you know, sticking play calling, even from, you know, run pass balance to the passes that were called. I think that's something that we're going to examine anything else uh, to dissect without, without going through the film. I mean, also, I think when the game was kind of in the balance a little bit, I thought there was a couple drops too. And could the yeah. balls have been better? Yeah. But I remember that one to Jahan where he runs one yeah. of the sickest routes I've ever seen. And that then, was ridiculous. Like, you got to make that play. You know what I mean? You got to make that play. There was another one to Terry a little high, and I'm not faulting Terry for dropping it, but you got to make it. You know, like in that moment, in those moments when the game, because it, what was it? It was two to twenty-four. There was like it was still in the third quarter. I want to say, if you yeah, get a John touchdown the drop, there, yeah, if you get a touchdown there, like that ball game. I don't want to say it's like you know. This is just me thinking back to when I'm on the sideline. You do this little math where you're like, we get a possession, they go three and out, 
and you're you're in it like time wise you're still in it but mm-hmm. when you get deeper into the fourth quarter that's tough man and i know carson wasn't putting the guys in the best position to be successful with the ball placement and all that stuff but sometimes you just got to make a play for your guy you know and i'm not that's nobody's fault i'm not saying that they should have done this or should have done that but um you know what i'm saying like that like when the game's in the balance like that and your guy needs a bone like yeah, you're the, you're the sure sure-handed first rounder. You need you to make that play. You're yeah. the seventy million dollar man. We need you to make that play. Yeah. And right. you know it's funny. I you know Linnell and I got into it on Thursday about guys making plays and you know the stuff that he I thought he was calling out was ridiculous. Of like, yeah, it's okay. Maybe Jalen Ramsey makes that play, but like he's one of one. <laughs> you know, th- this is the kind of thing that you know Terry's caliber of player, Jahan's caliber of player. That's reasonable right. expectations for them to make that play. They should make that play. But it also does speak to not to let them off the hook, but it's kind of the encapsulation of not being in rhythm, not having a feel for the game, you're more likely to make those simple execution mistakes if everything feels disjointed. And so, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that happens. It's why these things tend to snowball. And it's also like with Jahan specifically, I felt like he was pressing a little bit, you know, because you're you're at that critical moment and you need to get it, need to have it. And you're kind of looking at the defender trying to make a move. And it's just, and I, and I've been in those situations before as a player and it's no fun, and you're just trying to do everything you can to make a play. And so, but I'm just, I just kind of thousand foot view, like some of those catches and near catches would have been, you know, I'm not saying they win the game if they make those, but maybe you get on a roll, maybe you get some momentum, that type of thing. And again, yeah, you, not, you I'm you not give being yourself a shot. I, mean, I know those are, those are tough plays to make for sure. So I'm not being unrealistic there. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, defensively, to me, as I was saying earlier, it's as simple as like their dudes were better. Like they had, like AJ Brown on Benjamin St. Juice. Benjamin St. Juice is, is, a fine player, uh, AJ Brown's a beast, and that's like Brown did a good job. I thought, yeah, I thought Benjamin I mean, did a nice job. Same just had so a, this. I want yeah. to ask you this question, and I'm glad mm-hmm. we're talking about it now. You know that slant that they catch uh, that he caught for a touchdown, yeah, AJ Brown. Yeah, do we have anyone on the team that you feel comfortable like could make that same type of play? Guy draped on him, catch, fall in for a touchdown. Like, do we have a, an offensive player that could make that yeah. play? Yeah, yeah, I think Terry can make that play. You think so? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I mean, in a different way, I think Samuel can make that play. It looks a little bit different. He's not big bodied yeah. like that, but if he right. catches it quick, like he's so hard to bring down, he's kind of got that running back body. I think sure. Terry can make that play. Um, he's, he's super powerful as a runner, um, but not as consistently or not as much as Brown. Like the big bodied receiver. I mean, Cam mm-hmm. Sims is probably the, the most like body type wise, but right. obviously trying to compare Cam Sims to AJ Brown is not a fair fight. And that's not Cam Sims fault. He's not AJ Brown. Right. Yeah, no, I just was thinking about that. Like, I thought Benjamin St. Just did a nice job. He had a couple of PPUs. Yeah, um, he was fantastic really for a lot of the game. And they just had some, and, he had a lot of opportunities. And that means some plays are going to be made on your head. And I think he gave gave up one that was the one, right? The one to uh, A.J. Brown. That was it for him. And then the other guy that I thought had a tougher game was Kendall, if I remember correctly. He had a couple where he's right on the chin of A.J. Brown, right on the chin of Kendall. Ball's trying, Our, to, punch, yeah, trying to punch Devante. the ball out. Yeah, yeah. Devontae Smith had the big one at the end of the half. Like, I mean, that's the thing though; those guys are there. They're in positions. They have to make plays, and um, you know, the Eagles guys made plays, and that's a reasonable expectation because they're better players. And, and like I said off the top, like it's even more reasonable when you're exhausted. Yeah. When when you're, it's taken everything you got just to be there. Jalen Hurts deserves a ton of credit because he's on time, on target a lot. I mean, the the slant to Brown actually was a little bit behind. That's just a fantastic play by a $100 million receiver. Um, and that's kind of the game because it, it is yeah. that second quarter where things got really nasty for the commanders on offense. And it's, you know, three and out, turnover, three and out, three and out, three and out. 
and the defenses. And what was crazy, Logan, I, I remember looking at both the plays and the time of possession. The commanders technically actually had more time of possession yeah. because the clock was running while they would have the ball because they would, they would run the ball, run the ball, and then try to pass on third down, right. incomplete punt. But just those running plays they ran, they would ha- they actually were winning in time of possession, but it felt like they were way behind. And the Eagles would just go boom, boom, boom. And by the way, they also deserve credit for this. They went up tempo. They yeah. knew it. They knew they had the commanders who were shorthanded and not as good and had an offense that couldn't keep their defense on the field. They had them against the ropes. And Nick Sirianni was like, let's go. And they, they, got, they went hurry up. They didn't allow substitutions. They kept the pressure on, and they scored 24 points in the second quarter, and that's your ball game. And I forget, but on that really long drive where they had it backed up, the guy off the punt, they tackled him inside the five-yard line on the punt. Mm-hmm. They went like 90, 85 yards, and then they went four and out, right? Is that that drive? Am I thinking of that correctly? Yeah, they start at their own six. It's an eight-play, 86-yard drive. They go in 327 before they ultimately – uh, try that weird end around to Zach Pascal and and it ends at the Washington eight and no points. And so I think like that again, like props to the defense, man. Like you're hemorrhaging yards, right? But when it comes down to it, and you gotta have a play. Like they made a play, and like yeah. if you're the offense and you come out on the field, I think it's still I forget the exact score at that time. It's like it's like it's 10 nothing. Ten, yeah. So if you, which is why I, by the way, love the call from the Eagles to go for it because seventeen nothing yeah. feels like it's over. Thirteen nothing, it's like all right, it's still a two score game. Right. And then Washington gets best case scenario, it's still ten nothing. And I just think about like even last week against Detroit, how like they need to capitalize on those situations, right? You need to, like I was so irritated in the booth, right? And it's not like I was some great offensive player, but I understand like offensive rhythm, you know. And like as an offensive player, like one of the things I would note is like after something like that happens, you need to go on a little bit of a drive. You need to go on five, six, maybe 10. I don't care if you punt afterwards, you need to possess the football for a little bit. And then I don't care if you punt, right? But you need to possess the football because you need to shorten that half as much as possible. You need to give the defensive time to kind of catch their breath. And I think they had like they either they went three and out or they fumbled the snap or something. They went crazy. four and out. So they right. they get an eleven yard run by Antonio Gibson on first down, and then one of the absolute killer plays of the game because it felt like that might have been the start of something yeah. is Wentz just absolutely shorts one to John Bates. A little bit of pressure for Brandon right. Graham, that's but he right. rolls out yeah. and he's got to hit that. Like that's that's the kind of thing where if he's in rhythm, Carson's having a good day. Like that's an easy completion. Bates might even pick up a first down, but at least you're in second and short. Instead, it's second and 10, incompletion deep to McLaurin. And then he's sacked on third down uh, and fumbles, gets touchdown at the 13-yard line. Uh, so you wind up losing eight yards. And ultimately, the drive stats that started with an 11-yard run are four plays, four yards in a minute 23. I think the other thing that really stuck out to me is like the field position out of these for the defense. So you get – so this, this is a perfect example. You're on the 14-yard line. You punt, and the punt team did a nice job all day. But, like, you're, they're going to get that ball, I'm probably uh, assuming, at, like, the 35 or the 40. They got it at the 36, went six plays, 64 right. yards for a touchdown. And so that, again, like, the field position, the inability to move the football, that type of moment for the offense, you're, you're playing defense at that point offensively. You just need to get the ball out of your end, give the defense a breather, and then punt it back to them where they have to drive more than, you know, what is that, 55 yards, 60 yards? 65, to score a yeah. Yeah, so I think like that that to me was the most irritating part about this game. Defense stands up, makes a huge play, and you just 
and you just throw it away. And then yep. they are gassed. They're tired. They went through the, the last drive was hurry up. Like it was a huge, big mess. And then you just lay a huge egg. And they did that repeatedly. Every time the offense, they go, they get a field goal the first drive, right? And then you come out and you go three and out. Like, are you like kidding me? And I'm not even talking about play calling. I'm just talking about support, like playing complimentary football and supporting your team. And like, I've been a part of bad offenses. I know that that feeling makes me sick, absolutely sick to think about. And that that's just, that was, the, that was to me the key to the game. Yeah. Those, those types of moments. Well, and then they back it up with a three after the touchdown, uh, three play, three yard drive, 59 seconds. That was Wentz's third completion of the game. The short left to Dotson for three yards on third down and 10. And then Philly back. What was the time on the clock? What was the time on the clock? Uh, They, let's see, Dotson uh, catches it 249 to go. Clock ran down. They actually punt it 157, uh, two minute warning. And And then in that final 157, including the walk off touchdown to end the half from Hertz. They go 11 plays, 88 yards, and instead of being down 10 nothing at the half, or maybe even 10-3 if you can sustain a drive, because that first drive, Logan, they took over 7-0-8. You, know, you go on yeah. a four or five minute drive and then give your defense a chance, stand up. You're talking about 10, even if it's a field goal drive, 10-3 at the half. Instead, 24 yeah. nothing at halftime, and you're you're dead. And that's what I'm saying is like if you can get just a just take 10 plays, however you get them, get 10 plays in there, and the score is best case like worst case scenario 17 to 0 worst case scenario if you get 10 plays added there because they, they lose that two minute drive at the end of the game and i think that again i think it's like i'm mad just thinking about it like that to me is the biggest like defense whatever they made plays they had the horses jalen hurts had a great game but offensively you did not hold up your end of the bargain here right. at all and you put totally. those guys who came out with their hair on fire playing aggressive and made some plays for you early in the game you put them in a bad spot and then then you come out at halftime and they get a three and out and then you go. Three yes. And out. They get you another three and out and you go three and out again. Like that again, like they made plays. They didn't, they made enough plays for this group of playmakers to, for this offense to, to keep it competitive. I think. No, I, I totally agree. Defense. Uh, they got a lot of flack last week on, on the radio. Uh, they will not be getting any this week. And no. instead the ire will be pointed squarely at the offense. So prepare for that. All week. Uh, we will start that conversation. We'll, of course, uh, you know, starting that on both the stations, Junkies, Kevin Sheehan Show, tomorrow morning on The Fan and the Team 980, respectively. I'll pick it up at 3 o'clock on the Team 980 for The Hoffman Show. Uh, other than that, we'll be back on Wednesday. I had a chance to watch the film, and we will record uh, a pod for then, and then we look ahead to Dallas on Friday. That's the rhythm during the season. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, download the podcast, Hey, it's really good. You should you should check out Take Command. Uh, and then we will plan on uh, convening with one of our colleagues from Dallas on Friday, as we did this week in Philadelphia, even as tempting as it is to not do anything that we did this week based off the result. All right, that's it. That's all. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Uh, tell a friend, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 